Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino. I hope you're all having a wonderful holiday weekend. Today's show's a little bit different. We have a star on the show, Joel Kim Booster. Now, Joel Kim Booster wrote and stars in a movie called Fire Island, which is hitting Hulu this Friday, June 3rd. Again, Friday, June 3rd. He's also a stand-up comedian with a new stand-up special on Netflix, June 21st, called Psychosexual. He's hilarious, wonderful, fantastic, talented. Again, a huge star. And this movie, Fire Island, I got a chance to see it early. It's so fantastic. It's a modern-day rom-com, which is uh, inspired by Pride and Prejudice. It's so fantastic. Now, it stars Joel Kim Booster and Bowen Yang. Uh, also, a lot of other great comedians in there. Matt Rogers, who's been on Everything Iconic before. Uh, Margaret Cho. There's so many wonderful people in this. It's very LGBTQ plus friendly. I think everyone in the cast is LGBTQ plus in real life, which is fantastic. And it's nice to just see a gay rom-com. I I can't recommend this movie enough. You're going to love it when you see it on June 3rd on Hulu. And I can't wait for you all to hear my chat with Joel Kim Booster. We talk about his stand-up special. We talk about the movie. And we talk about Housewives because we got to talk about Housewives. Joel's a, a Housewives watcher. So we get into all the nitty-gritty of the Bravo world. So please enjoy my chat with Joel Kim Booster. We'll be back later this week with a recap. We have Dubai coming this week, the Real Houses of Dubai. Uh, and also we have Real Houses of Beverly Hills. So stay tuned to Everything Iconic. Find me on social media at Danny Pellegrino. Make sure to subscribe or follow wherever you listen to the podcast. You can get my book wherever books are sold. It's called How Do I Unremember This? And without further ado, please enjoy my chat with Joel Kim Booster. Joel, how are you today? I'm doing so good. And I have to say, I'm like, I was telling you before, I've been doing so much press. And then to see that you are the final one today was such, oh, it was such a relief. I'm I'm just so excited. I'm such a huge fan. So this is really exciting for me. And vice versa too. And I just have to gush over the movie, which I'm sure as you've been talking to people, it, it was so good. And I, it was heartwarming and beautiful and funny and it was just all of the most wonderful of things. So I do want to talk a little bit about that first. Um, talk to me about the transition because you initially developed it for Quibi, right? Yeah. So um, how, how did we go from like a Quibi thing? Because <laughs> when we all think of the Quibi thing, we think, oh, that's going to be like kind of a crappier project to this beautiful, stunning, amazing film. That was so good. Well, I got to say like, you know, say what you will about Quibi, but they, they, they did have pretty good taste. I mean, they, they were pouring money into some, you know, it was me and Reese Witherspoon. So, you know, sure. like they, they had, they had some good taste. And I'll, I'll say the other thing is, is that like the, the appeal of Quibi, I think for a lot of creators was that you would get it all back in two years and could sell it however you wanted. And so when I wrote it for Quibi, I always wrote it 
structurally as though I were writing a screenplay. And then I just sort of chopped it into 10 chapters for Quibi. And so when Quibi folded, um, you know, it was really easy for me to just go into final draft and like sort of take out the chapter breaks and just send it out as a screenplay. And structurally, you know, there were things that I, I cut, I think like, Quibi wanted a much broader comedy and, and and I do think the film is very funny, but um, there were things that I, they wanted me to sacrifice, I think some of the heart for, for comedy in, in some places. And so that's really sort of the major change that happened with the switchover, but structurally the story as it stands, it, it was largely the same um, from Quibi to Searchlight. They, um, they, we didn't make a ton of huge changes. I think there's maybe a song choice that someone sings um, in the movie. That is uh, a new addition for Searchlight that they, you know, I think really allowed me to play a little bit more and be a little gayer. Um, and so I'm, I'm deeply thankful for that. Wait, can you tell me what the song choice was initially? Um, it was going to be, uh, will you still love me tomorrow? Which is uh-huh. so morose compared yeah. to what it ends up being in the film. So, Are you talking about the last song, right? The very I'm last? Talking, I'm talking about the karaoke moment. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, I love the music choices. I mean, I really just thought it was so beautiful and it's interesting. I was just watching that Heartstopper show. Have you seen that on Netflix? I have seen uh, bits and pieces of it. I haven't, I haven't sat, I haven't been able to sit down and watch it. There's like yet. this one scene where the, the kid, he's like a, a closeted kid sort of coming to terms with his sexuality throughout this series. And he goes and searches on his phone, like LGBTQ movies. And I had sort of an aha moment or epiphany moment because the same sort of 10 movies come up. It's, but I'm a cheerleader. I mean, since the nineties, I think oftentimes people think we've come so far and we have made a ton of strides. But if you if you Google LGBTQ movies, there's still a small handful from the nineties and the early two thousands. And it's, it's, it's Cer- not certainly mainstream ones. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm sure you've seen all the like TLA Wolf Studio released like gay. I, I grew, I remember in high school when I worked at a video rental store, I was watching all those movies like Eating Out, Big Eden, Mambo Italiano, um, Trick, Adam and Steve, Trick, like all yeah. those movies were really, they walked so that Fire Island could run. Like they were such huge influences on me when I was growing up. That's what but I was yeah, just, I was just going so to ask like access of those LGBTQ movies. Like, did you have a favor? Because yeah, I remember even, um, was broken hearts club. The, there was like a, it was sort of a gay rom-com with Dean Kane of all people. Yeah, it was um, mostly straight. Yeah. All straight um, my favorite one from that era, I mean, is so sad. I, um, it's probably a tie between latter days, latter days. Um, yes. remember that. And, um, Mambo Italiano is my, is, is gay. My big fat Creek wedding, but with Italian people. And, and it's so fun and good. And if people can find it, I don't know. That's the problem is that like when you Google gay movies, like the big mainstream ones come up, but they're so hard to find these other ones, these, these like smaller indie ones that were, you know, they had their problems, but they were all really, really special too. And, and I, you know, I, I tip my hat to all those creators for getting yeah. them made when they, I did. mean, we are, our sort of generation had to seek those out and try to find yeah. them wherever we Lime could wire, because babe. yeah, it was like the only <laughs> gay stuff we could see. And and not only that, but what what I one of the things that I think is so special about Fire Island is it doesn't desexualize the gay experience because sometimes, especially with those mainstream things, we take out all of the sexuality to make it a little bit more um, palatable to a wider straight audience or something. Yeah. But I think we need to show them the sex stuff so yeah. that people can be and, more comfortable. And shout out to our two uh, intimacy coordinators on set, two dynamite. 
Australian women, straight women, who I had to tell you, like, I was shocked every time I saw a sex scene in Fire Island because they got the angles in a way a lot of television and movies do not understand the angles in which we have to have sex. And it's so it's science fiction sometimes when I see gay sex depicted on screen. Right. Uh, Tell people a little bit about what the movie is. It's based on Pride and Prejudice, right? Yeah, it's basically what Amy Heckerling did with Emma and Clueless is sort of what I was trying to do with Pride and Prejudice and and Fire Island. It's a loose modern retelling um, that hits a lot of the same beats and it has a lot of the same characters. It is structured around um, this chosen family uh, that is a stand-in for the Bennetts and they go to Fire Island. And um, it really is, um, I think the big... The big adjustment that I made is Pride and Prejudice is, is, you know, really about the romance between the, that the sisters have with Mr. Bingley and Mr. Darcy, especially. Um, and in this, in my movie, those romances exist in their own ways, but I do, I do think it is so much more about the relationship between Bowen and I and the friendship that we have. And it is sort of as much as it's a rom-com. A traditional rom-com, I do think it is, it's, it's almost so a, a romance between these two friends too, um, who yeah. are, you know, going to the Island to have fun and, and possibly have sex and, and just lose themselves a little bit in a world away from straight people. Talk to me about working with Margaret Cho. Obviously I love Margaret Cho. And I saw you, you were tweeting about, she had said what a, what a delight it was to work on this movie and how amazingly talented you are and all of that kind of stuff. But I mean, that must be incredible to hear because Margaret Cho is beyond. I mean, I, I can draw a straight line from all American girl to fire Island because Margaret really did change my life. She changed my conception of what was possible and what I could do as an Asian American person in this industry. I mean, I was probably like eight or nine when an all American girl came out. And I just remember sitting like inches away from the TV and feeling like for the first time I was seeing myself and it wasn't Jackie Chan, you know, like it wasn't an action movie. It was just like a family and it was a people like me and, and finding out that like Margaret made that. I mean, it was just, it blew my world wide open and, you know, for for me to get to work with her on this movie and to cast her in this movie. I mean, she wasn't, that part was originally written for an older gay man. And, you know, she came in sort of late in the game and, and it just was such an, an amazing full circle moment to have her on set. Cause she's, she's incredible. She's everything you want her to be. It looked really fun. Like I just was watching, I was like, Oh, I want to hang out there with all of those people. It was just a, I auditioned for it too. So there was some alternative universe where that would have happened, but um, I'm glad everyone who was in the, in the film, much better than I would have been. Uh, but talk to me about casting queer people because I, there's sort of this argument all the time, right? When, when straight people play gay roles, whether or not that's okay, where do we stand on that? And I'm just curious what your thoughts are on that. Yeah. I mean, so my thing is, is that I don't on paper, I don't have a problem morally with straight people playing gay roles. I do think that the best person for the role should always get it. But I also happen to believe that about 99.9% of the time, a gay person is the best person to play a gay role because there is an authenticity that is really easily recognizable um, to especially other gay people when watching gay people on roles. I think the only the only straight actor I know who pulls it off somewhat convincingly is Darren Chris, and he's retired from playing gay roles now. So um, there is only now uh, gay men to play them roles. And the thing is, is in casting in this movie, we did audition straight guys. We did, but there's a there's a shorthand that comes in in 
you know, casting queer people in queer roles that it was just like asking straight guys to understand the nuances and the layers of what was going on in this movie was a really tall order. And every gay person that we brought in practically um, really understood it on a really visceral level. And it was just like very clear. I mean, it's illegal for us to ask who's gay and who's not, you know, but like we could tell. (laughs) Yeah. And I I mean, watching anything, I think it's especially apparent when you see people kissing on screen, I think, Mm -hmm. I don't know. At least that's how I feel. I mean, everyone has sort of a different opinion, but I just think it's obvious when you're watching a straight person play gay and they're trying to kiss there. There's, I don't know, not always. I think there are people in the past who have done it well. Uh, I, you know, this is sort of a bigger picture too, and this might be more too serious of a topic for us to chat about, but I'm curious where you stand because there's this kind of fire Island is so wonderful, joyous, happy, very funny, but there's this, kind of idea lately that I've been seeing a lot pop up within the LGBTQ community of like, we've already told our traumatic stories and now uh, we want to see more joyous things. And I sort of find myself somewhere in the middle. I don't know that, I don't think we should stop, should ignore those traumatic stories. I think those are also still important to tell. And I worry that this idea of like not having LGBTQ dramas portrayed on screen will, will, might cause us to lose some of the history of the LGBTQ no, totally. community. I, I think it's a balance thing, right? You know, like yeah. I think it's just, I, I think it's been in a little imbalanced um, for yeah. a long time. I think that especially for mainstream studio movies, pr- you know, produced and oftentimes written and directed by straight people, like they find their, I think straight people, straight creators oftentimes are way more interested in our trauma than they are in our joy. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I totally agree with you. I think that there is a place and there is a need to continue to tell those stories. Um, But I just think that like, there needs to be a balance, you know, like straight people get the, the full gamut and it doesn't always feel like we do. And, you know, like I really just, for me, um, I wanted to tell a story where everyone really liked being gay and that one, mm-hmm. you know, like no one in this movie is struggling with their homosexuality. Like they're all, they've all been out and they all like it. And they're and no one is, is, you know, like wishing they could be straight in this movie. Um, and that was really important for me to, to portray. I just loved it. I just loved it. I'm a huge rom-com junkie too. So there's just so many of those elements in there. And it's just, I really can't explain the joy I felt watching it. And I know everyone, I'm so excited for everyone to get to watch because it was just a beautiful movie. Uh, Talk to me about Housewives. You mentioned Jersey Housewives. You want to talk about the Jersey reunion. Tell me your thoughts. Go for it. it, What a mess. Teresa, (laughs) I think that like, you know, there's this interesting trend that I'm seeing in Bravo world right now where people are sort of coming around to this idea that like maybe Melissa was the, the master manipulator that Teresa has been saying she is. You know, I know the girls over at our, our, our favorite bitch sesh, you know, are sort of on that train because of uh, various reasons, but watching. Teresa sort of twist herself into knots to justify not having Melissa in the wedding was really rough to watch. Like, oh, yeah. Yeah. I get it. And I, the thing is, is I understand where she's coming from where it's like, okay, we're not close, but like also Melissa's right. If Melissa got married and Teresa wasn't in the wedding, it would have been, Oh, it'd been world, world yeah, war it would, three. Yeah. It would have been, she never would have been forgiven for that. And it is the hypocrisy that is 
sort of insane about Teresa where she expects all this loyalty, but gives absolutely no loyalty to her brother. And it's really, really hard to watch that play out. And you can tell that it really does. Like I'm less like, I don't know necessarily how hurt Melissa is by it. I think she's pretty, she, she identifies it and pinpoints it. I don't know how like viscerally hurt she is, but you can tell that it really does bother Joe. And like, that's yeah. sad to me because I, I do, I really do like him. I think he's in the pantheon of great house husbands. And I'm very attracted to Joe Gorka. Oh, yeah, and I know absolutely. that I should, I, you know, I, yeah, he's very attractive. I, you know, there's all this hidden stuff though that's behind the scenes. Like even on just devil's advocate, I also think like what Melissa is really upset about. I think it's maybe 10% that she knows this is tearing up her brother and sister, or her, her husband and his sister. But I also think like she's, in her mind thinking, Oh, I'm not going to be in the wedding special, you know, yeah, like, it's like no. I'm not going to be, <laughs> but I mean, I have to say, and this is really sad. Melissa has nothing else. If she's not in conflict with Teresa, totally. she has nothing else. And yeah. we've seen that play out over the last two seasons where they've been in relative peace with each other. She has no story if she's not in conflict with Melissa. And so this is kind of, the best case scenario for her not getting in the wedding really is sort of like it gives her Mm. beef to go into next season. Oh, that's interesting. It gives her a platform. So now she doesn't have to make up shit about her fucking marriage next season. She can just fight with Teresa, which is what we all want to see. And I'm tired of all of us pretending that they don't hate each other. Like they, they just don't even, I think from the get go, they haven't liked each other. And we've, we went like a couple seasons or two or three seasons now where it's been like, Oh yeah, we're friends. And it's like, we're, you're not friends. Like, you hate the, each other. It's very clear. And I, w- what I'm interested to see the development of is it really seems like Dolores and Teresa, there's a, there's a, f- a sort of a fracture there in that friendship for her to not get invited to the engagement party because she quote unquote, isn't in a couple. And she is like, it's, you know what I heard? Really Wait, you know crazy. what I heard just today, Joel, that apparently, and this could be wrong, people were DMing it to me though, but Dina, I guess, threw the um, engagement party, Dina Manzo, because Dina and Teresa are really close. And Dina and Dolores hate each other. And it's something to do with like the Caroline Dina relationship. But so I think that plays it. There's something there and I don't, I haven't gotten to the bottom of it yet. I'm just. Dina is is always hanging around sort of the periphery of all of these little dramas in some shape or form, especially with Teresa. I think that that relationship always is like a specter um, that, that haunts this show. What do you want for the cast next season? Do you want the same cast back? Do you want to get rid of some people? What are we thinking? I think. Well, we certainly don't need Tracy back. No, what a big bag of fucking big old flop. Yeah, yeah. Big old flop. <laughs> just brought nothing. And I and I think like it didn't even really help Marge at all to have an extra ally because she was so nothing. It actually probably deducted points from Marge's tally by the end. I think. Um, mm. I, I really like this cast. I think that there is probably room for one more, maybe. Um, it, the the relationships and the alliances are starting to feel a little stale. Like it's a little bit like we like I, I was actually really excited when Jennifer and Marge sort of made up and started to finally become real friends. It looks like that sort of dissolved a little bit by this reunion. Jennifer is like clearly back in Teresa's pocket in a big way. Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, I, the only one that I think is maybe sort of on her way out and, and it's sad because I do think she, her story was a little compelling this season was Jackie, it's yeah. not necessarily bringing, I don't know what's next, what she has left to give, you know, like they're saying she's demoted with the ladies. 
I've been hearing that she's been demoted to just a friend. So like not a main cast member, but yeah, I I loved her storyline this season, but yeah, I don't know that you you mentioned the, um, the Jen and Margaret of it all. And I also think it was so interesting in part one of the reunion was the Dolores and Jen thing that was Mm -hmm. coming. It was like, I hadn't, I don't know. And Teresa's and and that's really going to be the first time in a long time that Teresa's going to be put in a corner of making a decision because like she is all about loyalty and she's all about, you know, friend loyalty. And it's like, who's she going to be loyal? And like Dolores, I think is the one that's going to make her make that call. And I, and I actually think that Dolores, that Teresa's going to choose Jen. I would love to see Dina come in there because that would screw up all those dynamics so much. Oh yeah. I mean, it's so funny because Dina didn't Dina came back on such a bad season that like we didn't really get to see Dina in action. Right. But I think that like if if that's maybe what I want to see is swap out Jackie and Dina and see how messy it actually gets. We got to take a quick break here. We'll be back with more from Joel Kim Booster. I want to thank Acast for all episodes of Everything Iconic. You go to acast.com slash everything iconic and we'll be right back. All right, I'm sure a lot of you out there can relate because every time there's a commercial break and I'm watching one of my shows, I'm always hopping on the Redfin app or website because I just want to check out real estate listings. Like I love checking out real estate listings, even for the houses that I cannot afford. It's my favorite app to use Redfin. Uh, I just got a home, of course, but it was a pretty stressful process. And if I would have known how easy Redfin was, I think it would have helped out a lot. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes and sends you personalized recommendations. So finding the home that's perfect for you has never been easier. See something you like? Well, book a tour straight from the app. And when you're ready to buy, an experienced local Redfin agent can guide you through the whole process, making it so easy. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents know how to get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents with a listing fee as low as 1%. Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put towards your next home. Now, that's a great thing. I love using Redfin. I love checking out. If you're buying or selling a home and you need some help with that, check out Redfin. Download the Redfin app to get started. Joel, you're a Salt Lake City fan, right? Oh, yeah. through through. I believe I saw this on your Twitter. Correct me if I'm wrong, but... Uh, you're a big Mary fan, correct? Mary fan is maybe not how <laughs> I would put it. I think that Mary is one of the most evil housewives to her core that the the franchise as a whole has ever seen. And I think that she is maybe one of the only housewives that has could and maybe has committed murder in her past. Um, I think she's dangerous. I think that she is, uh, that in, in some sense is keeping her on television is irresponsible. And yet I think she is one of the most important things of the, in that show and that she needs to be brought back season after season until we see her arrested on screen <laughs> in a similar fashion as Jen Shaw. I just don't see any way around it in a season where a woman is literally arrested <laughs> by the feds for defrauding old people. She is Mary still somehow is the bigger villain in that season and more interesting in that season. Like that's a feat. That's a huge feat. I still don't know that we've all fully unpacked season two of Salt Lake City Housewives. Like I I really think like we'll go back in a few years and be like, what the fuck was that? Like there was a lot of crazy shit happening and it's all there on screen. And I just don't know that it was really appreciated for how good it was and also how crazy and fucked up it was. No, I mean, we've, 
the 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 things that happened in that van time <laughs> after time i mean it deserves its own like documentary like get that get that van driver on the horn Right. Like right. whoever gets that interview is like the is is the real winner. Kevin, the driver. Like, yeah, ecosystem of of Real Housewives um, news. Like it's just it, it's it seems huge. And my worry is I do not think that Jen Shaw understands the gravity of her situation just based purely on her social media presence right now. Like I really worry that she is not being counseled well because she's she's gonna go to prison for a long time well i get confused how all these women are being counseled and i i have met people who have done worked social media for some of these women and and it is shocking especially when you bring in the larger um the the crimes and the the courts and you bring in these outside forces that are very real intense uh, serious issues that they're dealing with and i wonder who's counseling Erica Jane's social media. Oh, why are they? Why isn't anyone stepping in? I don't I know. I don't know. But man, she is really losing the image war um, by all accounts. Wait. So talk to me about Erica Jane. Do you watch? You watch Beverly Hills, oh, right? Yeah. Big fan of Beverly Hills. Very excited to see what happens this season. Um, really uh, promising. I think development for Crystal is is Crystal v. Erica. I'm actually mm-hmm. like, I hope that is actually a thing because what I need to see more from Crystal King uh, Kung Minkoff is more. Tell me you're that girl, mm-hmm. you know, like I need, like as much as we all fell in love with Sutton and as much as the, I was violated played out too long for, I think it was a miscalculation on Crystal's part that beginning arc of the season. She was so strong and she had showed such promise. Like the way she, stared down Sutton on that boat while she was rolling her face and just kept saying no was so magnificent. And yet, and then it just didn't, it sort of fizzled out. I think she was trying to do the calculus in her head Mm -hmm. trying to stay ahead of what the audience reaction would be. And it was only after the show aired that she realized she bet on the wrong horses. Yeah. And I, you're you're totally right. Yeah. I think she leaned in a little too hard with that violation thing and you know, it was her, that was her first season, right? Was it? Yeah, it was her. First. So I think, you know, she was finding her footing, but yeah, I think like the star quality is all there. I think yeah, we've only scratched the surface of like how good Crystal could be as a housewife. For sure. And I think like, you know, probably, you know, certainly it sucks that they keep throwing these Asian women on these casts and when what we really need and what we really deserve Reboot the OC with an all Asian cast. Cause you want to know where rich Asian women live. It's the fucking OC, you know, right. like, and oh God, watching the, 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 the saddest two part reunion. The saddest. Which, Joel. I mean, nothing. Just absolute nothing. Dr. Jen was fucking asleep the whole two parts. Yeah, like she didn't please. say two words. And, you know, I was watching the, um, Jersey right after Orange County, like the Jersey women were just so much more awake on camera. You know, when you get on camera, you do have to kind of perk it up a little bit. And I was watching the Orange County women. I'm like, not, I mean, sort of Heather, she knows how to kind of perk up on camera. Shannon has never looked better. I Shannon looked that. stunning she, at the reading. She looked yeah, amazing stunning. in that pink dress. Never looked better. But when you look um, at like Emily and G, everyone's just sort of sleepy. And I'm like, even, even wake crazy. up. What's her? Um, Noella. Noella, who I think like was probably very like very necessary to that season, um, like even she really did not bring even any of the her crazy from the rest of the season to the reunion. It felt very restrained in a in a, in a big way, and like 
Yeah, it, that that franchise needs serious help, and I don't think yeah. Tamra is the answer. I know a lot yeah. of people are clamoring for Tamra, and I get it. And I I would prefer Tamra over nothing, but I really do think we need to let go of the franchise and and move on or re- reboot it completely or something. I would love a recast. I mean, I think to to me that makes the most sense, but. I, I don't know that they would do that, but it makes the most sense to like, let's start fresh with a new group of women yeah. that we or can go to cast San Francisco. Give us yeah. the Asian women of Silicon Valley. Like they're like, that is, I think the problem is we keep putting these Asian women on these casts of all, you know, ex women. And it's just, it's putting a lot of pressure on them. I think representationally. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's just, it's, you know, poor Tiffany moon, you know, she could have been somebody, but just saddled with a terrible cast. Yeah. I, she was really, yeah, I felt bad for Tiffany and that whole season was a mess. I mean, I'm glad they just sort of canceled it, but it is frustrating. And I know a lot of people are saying, oh, we need like a married to medicine Dallas because Tiffany, I think could be a great reality star, but it's like, man, she got the shaft. Um, Joel. Okay. Any other housewife thoughts you need to get out right now while we're here? Mm, Any other Bravo? Um, I, um, I'm really, you know, excited to see people be the wider audience be introduced to Caroline Stanberry. Um, I think that's going to be really exciting television. I am not on, I'm not completely sold on the splitting of mm, New, York New York yet. I think that it needs to be, I think what would have been a smarter decision would be to just do Real Housewives of Brooklyn and then Real Housewives of Manhattan. You know, like, I think mm. like rather than try and do this, like, young versus old like it doesn't make any sense and i and i like certainly don't want to see the old ladies like sequestered on peacock island you know like right. i i just want like just do two separate shows like the the city is big enough brooklyn and, and manhattan are two big enough boroughs like those women hardly ever leave the upper east side anyways you know like leah the fact that it was like sort of a thing that leah was a downtown girl was so shocking to me as someone who lived in New York for five and a half years. Like it just like, that's where the vibrancy of New York is happening is, is like, you know, downtown. So it was crazy to me that that was ever a thing. And splitting it that way, there could be such an opportunity for a, like a crossover episode or something where it's like, they, yeah. you know, Oh, if only Alex McCord still lived in Brooklyn. I know. It's really upsetting. I think Andy was just saying in an interview I was reading, he's like, you know, we, we all wish we could get Alex back, but she's in Australia. Yeah. Uh, next, yeah. Joel, talk to me. Uh, Fire Island, making something for the queer community. I find that I, maybe I hope people don't yell at me for saying this, but I feel like oftentimes the LGBTQ community can be the most critical of LGBTQ creators. Uh, how are you feeling now that you have this amazing movie for that is such a, I think, love letter to the queer community? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I love being gay. Um, and I hope that shows in the movie. I think that we are really hard on stuff that is meant for us. Um, I think that in part is because of scarcity. I think that we just don't get enough of it. And so that when something finally does come along, it, it is forced to be sort of, it has to be everything for everyone. And our community is quite diverse, you know? Um, and I think that it's, it's unfair to expect anything to be everything. And, and, you know, I get a lot of questions mainly from straight, you know, outlets of like, how does this represent the universal gay experience? And it's like, it, it doesn't, and it's not supposed to, it represents a very specific experience shared by bone and I 
on that island. And it is about our friendship. And so much of it is cannibalized from our friendship. And if people happen to see themselves reflected in that, then I'm so overjoyed and I'm glad that they found that. But if you don't, my real hope is, is that, you know, this creates a million clones. Like I, 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 I'm so glad that Billy's movie is coming out this year too. Um, not only because like Billy Eichner's uh, bros, bros yeah, it's called, yeah. in September, yeah. because like, uh, you know, at least there's two now, you know, like if they don't like my movie, hopefully they'll like Billy's. And if they don't like Billy's, then hopefully they'll make their own, you know? And like, I don't say that flippantly. I, I mean that genuinely is that like, I hope this inspires people and opens up the possibilities of what people think that they can accomplish in this industry is, you know, that there's, there's room for a breadth of, of experiences to be told on screen. And, you know, I, 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 I know I'm on gay Twitter. I know how mean we can be. And I understand and I see the criticism and, you know, the, the trailer dropping was a really scary day for me. But I, 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 if you had criticisms in the, of the trailer, I, I will say about 90% of them, um, that I saw online, I was like, oh, this is addressed in the movie. You know, like, I think like when people are like, oh, we're supposed to believe that Jolkin Booster is bullied on Fire Island. I was like, yeah, no, actually that I, I fully address that in the movie um, as a plot. You know, it's it's a thing. So I think that like, I just hope that people give it a chance and, um, you know, I, I'll accept all of the funny, you know, jokes on gay Twitter about it. I, you know, I, I've done my share of that as well. I remember when looking came out, you know, so it, you know, I, I, I accept it and I, and I honor all of those responses, but I, I hope that people do give the movie a fair shot too. Once they see it, they're ever, people are going to love it. I mean, it's, That's it's fine. so good, but you know, there's this weird thing that I almost think is ingrained in the gay community where, uh, even outside of the industry, oftentimes there's one or two spots for a, a gay person in in a leadership position or in, in any industry. You when you look at the top, there are a handful of straight white men, and then there's you know some women, and then it's like the one gay person or whatever. So it's almost like it's ingrained in people to to want to tear each other down. And and I hope going forward we can all kind of lift each other up and and know that there's tons of room at the top for, for everyone. And to tell all of these types of stories when it comes to the, the film industry. Yeah. I mean, that was a really conscious thing that like bone and I have been friends for almost a decade now. And like, I remember we, we talked about this really, really early because like conventional wisdom says that bone and I check a lot of the same demographic boxes, you know, and like, there's a lot of ways that I think the industry would love to pit us against each other because of that. And like, say that there's only room for one of us. And I think like we made a really conscious decision to say like, fuck that. We're not going to do, we're not going to play that game with each other and we're just going to support each other. And that's a huge reason why I wrote this movie is that, you know, I didn't see a world right now where bone and I got to co-lead a movie created by somebody else. So I said, fuck it, I'll do it myself. And like, I, I think that that is like a huge a huge issue and a huge part of why I was so excited to get this movie made is, is just prove that like, it doesn't have to be like, Oh, we climbed to the top of the ladder and then we pull the ladder up behind us and like block anybody else from making it. Cause that's not, you know, it's not how white guys do it. It is also frustrating that like, a straight white guy makes a movie and people watch the trailer and say that that's not for me. And then they sort of move on. But I think with gay entertainment, it's like, 
that's not for me. And everyone's telling me that it is supposed to be for me. And that makes me mad, you know, and that makes me resent it even harder. And so I'm going to, you know, make it my mission to spend a week tweeting about it, um, you know, and, and dragging it for whatever reason. And so I, I just hope that the, this breeds, a, you know, a million clones and that pe- there are too many gay movies for people to focus on any one, that kind of attention. I love decorating the house and getting furniture, but sometimes it could be overwhelming to design a space. And so luckily I'm here to tell you about a company called Cozy. Now Cozy is fantastic, a North American company that thoughtfully designs furniture made for modern living. Now Cozy strives to provide the best furniture shopping experience with elegant, super high quality products, plus fast delivery and easy assembly, which is really important to me because I do not like putting together furniture. So the easier, the better for me. Now Cozy offers a beautiful, customizable sofas and sectionals that are made to adapt in time. This means customers can add seats to the sofas over time. Maybe if you're extending your family, you might want more space on the couch. Cozy also offers a great range of coffee tables, washable rugs, wall shelving, credenzas, TV stands, and accessories. So much. It's thoughtfully designed furniture made for modern living. There's an outdoor sofa and tables collection that is fantastic. It's called the Mistral. So you can choose the perfect sofa configuration for your outdoor setup. Uh, Cozy also opened its first retail space on Queen Street in Toronto to push the experience to the next level and allow customers to engage physically with the products. So transform your living space today with Cozy. Visit Cozy.com, spelled C-O-Z-E-Y, to start customizing your furniture today. Again, that's Cozy, C-O-Z-E-Y, dot com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I know I have to let you go. I do want you to be, tell us about the special on Netflix. When is the special out? Yeah, my Netflix special, my stand up, my first uh, full hour of, of stand up on Netflix premieres on June 21st. It's called Psychosexual. Um, and then I also have, uh, I'm on an Apple show with Maya Rudolph that comes out on June 24th called Loot. Um, that is very, very fun. And it, MJ Rodriguez also stars and she's um, such a fucking star that I can't wait pe- for people to see it. I'm so excited. Well, I have to thank you. I mean, I love Fire Island and I've always been such a huge fan of your work. So I'm just, um, I'm so grateful for you sharing it. And uh, I ask all of my guests these next two questions. Your favorite Mariah Carey song. And if you were choosing People Magazine, Sexiest Man Alive, who would you choose? Um, so the, my favorite Mariah Carey song, it's kind of basic, but it's always Be My Baby. I think classic. it's like, it's such a, it, it never gets old. Um, it is such a, it's a classic for a reason. And my um, time sexiest man of the year i'm i'm just gonna have to do a small plug for the movie and it's conrad ricamora like i think it is a huge indictment on this industry that conrad ricamora has not played a leading man in this capacity before my movie i think he's so sexy it was so easy to fall in love with him every day on set um and i cannot wait for people to get all kinds of boners for him watching him in this movie We love a boner here at Everything Iconic. Joel, I love you. Thank you so much for taking the time to stop by. Everyone check out Fire Island on Hulu and Joel's Netflix special as well. Look out for his new Apple Plus show. Joel, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. 